Today, we're going to be in our second message of our new series called Storyteller. Uh, Storyteller, of course, depicts Jesus, who is the master storyteller. In fact, the Bible says in the Gospels that when Jesus did most of his teaching publicly, he taught them in parables, and parables are stories. Last week, we talked about the parable of the sower and the seed and the soil. And if there's one thing I was hoping you guys would remember about last week was that there are four different kinds of soil. The sower is the evangelist or Jesus or the person sharing the gospel. The seed is the gospel message itself and the soil is you and me. So the question is, what kind of soil are you? Because only one out of those four soils actually produced a harvest. I hope you're one of the good soils. So we talked about that and uh, let's go to the next slide because I wanted to share with you about how to become good soil. Just a reminder, if you were here last week or if you were not here last week, this could be something that is for you. Uh, keep, is it, is it stuck or is, uh, is it still going? There we go. So the good soil becoming receptive, the, the verse that we concluded with last week was Colossians 3 and verse 16. And it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So how do you go ahead and let the message of Christ dwell in you richly? The next slide talks about different ways we can do that. Of course, the message of Christ or the words of Jesus that we have uh, recorded for us in the New Testament. But part of the way we let the message of Christ dwell in you richly is through a daily devotional, a time where you can get away, where you can relax, you can reflect on what God is saying to you, and you can respond. You can say, God, what are you saying to me today? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? What do you want me to start doing or stop doing? And then let God speak to you during that time period. So that is last week, how to become good soil, right? So as you start your devotional time, you know, they've, they've done extensive studies on this with followers of Christ, and they said the, the, the followers of Jesus who are growing in their faith do this at least four times a week. They have a daily devotional time with God at least four times a week. And, and four is the minimum. If you don't have four, you're not necessarily growing in your faith. You might be treading water, but you're not getting anywhere. So how do you get somewhere and grow spiritually? You have your daily devotional at least four times a week where you open up God's word like the psalmist and said, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes so I can see wonderful things in your law. So that was last week, how to become good soil. The story that Jesus is going to tell today is called the parable of the good Samaritan. You know, when Jesus was doing ministry for three years in Israel, I think that a lot of the religious leaders that were listening to Jesus, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that were leaders of these religious sects in Israel at the time in the first century, they felt threatened by Jesus and by his spiritual authority. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. In fact, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. But Jesus, when he was talking about the kingdom of God, his view of the kingdom was not political. And that bothered a lot of people. Jesus talked about being Lord of the Sabbath or the day of rest, right? Uh, and, and yet Jesus was active on the Sabbath. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. That bothered a lot of religious leaders. Jesus hung around the wrong crowd of people, and that bothered a lot of people. 
Jesus would quote the rabbinical authorities of his day saying, you have heard it said, and then he would follow that with by saying, but I say to you, saying that he was the new authority. And Jesus would claim his authority to give the true spiritual meaning of one of God's commands. And so what would these religious leaders do in response to Jesus? Well, I hope, because many of them did become followers of Christ, when you read the book of Acts and you get to chapter 6, it says that even a great number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So somebody was listening to Jesus' words and taking them in. I know Nicodemus was, and he was a member of the Jewish high council. What would the religious leaders normally do? Well, I'd hope they'd see the truth of what Jesus was saying. But more often than not, a lot of religious leaders would just try and trip up Jesus, trip him up, try to catch him in a mistake, try to get him to say or do something that would discredit himself so that they could then write him off. And we're going to see an encounter like that today. Now, what is, again, a parable, uh, just to remind us, it's an earthly story that has a kingdom of God meaning spiritually. In other words, Jesus tells a story about everyday life that people can relate to, they can visualize, they can see to help them get an understanding of the invisible meaning in the kingdom of God. And of course, Jesus is a master at this in the storytellers. You know, before we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan, I wanna, I wanna share this one story because in Jerusalem, in the temple area, Jesus was doing some teaching, and one expert in the law, this is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and one expert in the law asked Jesus, he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And of course, to the Jewish people, that, wasn't an, that was not an unusual question. Every good Jew knew the answer to it. So Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the expert in the law says, okay, good. You, find, you gave a good answer. This commandment, of course, is vertical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength about the individual person's relationship with God that is supposed to be based on love. And love is about giving and receiving. It's a relationship. But that commandment kind of focuses on the vertical. So what Jesus did right after that was probably a surprise to that expert in the law because he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he said, and the second command is like it. And the, I imagine the religious leader of his day was saying, wait, what? The second command, that is the greatest command. And Jesus says, no, no. And the second command is like it. The second what? The second command. What is it? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gave a two-command answer to a one-command question. What is the greatest commandment? So Jesus said, no, it's, it's, there's two. Jesus, when he said the second command is to love your neighbor as yourself, yeah, that second command came second in order. It came second in sequence, but it was not second in importance. It was equally important. And that's why Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's basically the equivalent of saying, you know what, all the Bible, all, all the scriptures that you read, it can all be summarized by these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So with that backdrop, now we come to the story in Luke's gospel and chapter 10. And if you have your Bible, you can, you can open it up to Luke 10. If you have it on your smartphone or your tablet, you can turn to Luke 10 or you can follow along on the screen because many of the scriptures are up on the screen. This is Jesus' story, and 
I got to tell you that the greatest part about this parable is it has a surprise in the story. It has an unexpected twist that jars everybody out of their complacency. Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice first, what was the man's motive here? He says he stood up to test Jesus, right? Maybe he wanted to take issue with Jesus. Maybe he just wanted to size Jesus up and see what kind of a rabbi Jesus was. So that's a good question. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think everybody on the planet at some day or another asks that question. What does it mean to be in a right relationship with God, our creator? What, how do I have eternal life? Is there life after death? And if so, how do I get there? So he asked the, the most important question. Well, Jesus, knowing he's a lawyer, knowing he's an expert in the law, he's like, well, you're a lawyer. What do you think? You tell me. So Jesus says, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, and notice that this, this expert in the law adds the second command to it. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I think Jesus is, is ready to do backflips right now. He's ready to give the man a, a standing ovation uh, because the man actually gave the right theological answer. The same answer that Jesus gave in Jerusalem in the temple area. Now, most every Jew agreed with him uh, when he was talking about this answer, when, when he said, what is the greatest commandment or how do you have eternal life? And he combined this command in Deuteronomy 6, which was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with another command in the law that was in Leviticus 19, which was love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered that same question, as I told you earlier in the temple area. So what does that look like? What does that look like to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself? How do you show honor to this invisible God in heaven? The Jews would say, well, you keep his law, you keep his commands, you keep God happy. And if you keep God happy, you're going to be happy. And if you and God are happy, everybody's going to be happy, right? Jesus underscored his emphasis so the man was focusing on the relationship with God vertically, but Jesus was now going to underscore the horizontal emphasis, this idea of what does that mean to love your neighbor as yourself? So Jesus gives this lawyer some kudos and he says, well done, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And the expert in the law says, okay, I heard your answer, but I've got a follow-up question. How many guys have ever watched a courtroom drama? Where, where there's this testimony given and the prosecutor sits down and he's like, no further questions, thinking he's just settled the whole matter. You know, you're convicted, you're guilty. And then the next attorney goes up and says, well, I have a few questions. And this expert in the law had a follow-up question for Jesus. And the follow-up question was this, and he said, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So if you notice here, what's the man's motive again? Said he wanted to justify himself. If loving my neighbor, now, now here's my thinking on this. If loving my neighbor is proof of my love for God, which is the key to eternal life, then I really got to know specifically, you got to tell me exactly what this means. Who am I supposed to love? Who is my neighbor? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So to what extent does that love require of me? What's the, mag- what's the minimum amount of love? I mean, it's probably like one of those questions everybody asks. You know, what do I have to do? What's the minimum I need to do to love in order to perform this love your neighbor as yourself to ensure that I'm going to have eternal life? So here's what I think. I, I, I really think at this point when the man asked that follow-up question, and who is my neighbor, that this man wasn't really there to learn anything from Jesus at this point. He was just there to build his resume with this clever trick question for Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's hoping to get his 15 minutes of fame with the man who stumped the great, unstumpable Rabbi Jesus. Maybe he was even criticizing Jesus indirectly, you know? Like, Jesus, I see who you're hanging out with. When you say love your neighbor, you might be hanging out with the wrong crowd, the wrong kind of neighbors there, right? So he could have been criticizing Jesus indirectly, Thereby, Jesus would be breaking God's law. Now, let's go back to this question, and who is my neighbor? Who did the Jews regard as their neighbor, right? The way to find that answer is you go back to Leviticus, where it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you look at the context of that, and what does it say in Leviticus 19? It says, do not seek revenge, do not bear a grudge against one of your people. Notice that's why I highlighted it in yellow, so you'd focus on that. One of your people. It says, but love your neighbor as yourself. So in that context, if you knew Leviticus 19.18, the whole verse, what would you conclude is who is my neighbor? The Jews would say, we know the answer to that question. It's one of your people. One of the Jewish people, one of the sons or daughters of Abraham, genetically, who were the chosen people of God. That's who I'm supposed to love. Love my neighbor as myself. I only have to love my own kind of people. I only have to love my fellow Jews. And so Jesus hears that, and he knows where the man's going. He knows his motive, and now Jesus decides to tell this story, right? Now, I want you to see this. Uh, it, it, I don't know if you guys have this, but there is a, a painting that was shown to me by Gary Ladon this week, and it's a wonderful painting by this Italian artist in the 1500s. His name is Jacopo Bassano. Everybody say Jacopo Bassano. Yeah. Wonderful Italian artist. He did a great painting of the Good Samaritan. Do we have the ability to show that on the screen or not? That's sort of it. That's a modern photo with his like a a film depiction. But you can see the poor guy on the road and you can see one of the Jewish religious authorities, either the priest or the Levi, that sees him on the road and just walks on by. Okay, that's not a painting from the 1500s. I don't know if you could tell that, But 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 it's not. So there is a painting from the 1500s. If you don't see it here on the screen as you leave today, it's in the back of the sanctuary. There it is. Okay. So you guys see that there. It's a beautiful painting of this man, this Samaritan that's helping this, this man who was beaten and robbed by these robbers on the road, left for half dead. And if you look at the painting close enough, and Gary said, keep staring at the painting. And I'm thinking, like, what's going to come out? You know, three dinosaurs or something? Like, you're staring at this for a while, and, and it says, no, you're going to see it. And to the right of the two men uh, above the dogs, there's actually a donkey. And he's getting ready to put the man up on his his ride, his donkey. So let me tell you the story, and then, we'll, and then we'll see where Jesus is going with this. Remember, the question is, and who is my neighbor? And the Jewish understanding is, one of my own people. That's who my neighbor is. That's who I have to love, 
right? So in reply to that man, Jesus said, he told this story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead, right? So here is this uh, journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is at 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is at 800 feet below sea level. So this is an elevation drop of 3,300 feet over 17 miles. There's rocks all around the road. There's lots of places for robbers and bandits to hide. It was considered a dangerous journey. Why this Jewish man was going by himself on this road, knowing it would be dangerous, is beside the question, but this is what was happening. Now, Martin Luther King Jr., the good doctor, he visited Israel one time, and in a speech that he gave the night before he died, the one that says, you know, I've seen the, I've seen the promised land speech the night before Dr. King was shot there in Memphis, uh, uh, he gave a speech called, I've been to the mountaintop, and Dr. King in that speech referenced this story of Jesus and the Good Samaritan. He described the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and knew it because he'd been on that road when he visited Israel. He said, as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for this parable. It's a winding, meandering road. And in the days of Jesus, it was known as the bloody pass. And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levites, so this man gets robbed and he's left for a half dead on the road, and now Dr. King is looking ahead and saying that the two religious leaders that passed by on the other side of the road, he said it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over at that man on the ground and wondered, hey, is this a setup? You know, is this a big scam here? Are the robbers still around? Are they just trying to get me to stop so they can rob me too? You know, or is it possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking it and he was acting like he'd been robbed in order to seize them and lure them there for a quick and easy uh, mugging? And so the first question that the priest asked or the question that the Levite asked afterwards was, if I stop, now notice who the focus was on. This priest and the Levite said, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's it going to cost me? What, am I going to be defiled? Because if the man's dead, the priest would be defiled by touching him. It, would, he, would they put themselves in danger if this was a setup for a robbery or something like that? So Jesus continues the story and he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. And there's another religious leader, somebody who works at the temple area. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, right? These two fellow Jewish religious leaders came along that road, passed by their Jewish neighbor. They didn't leave, lift a finger to help him. Uh, perhaps whatever their motives or fears were, they just decided not to do anything. Leave him alone by himself. And before we write off these two religious leaders, I just want to pause. I just want to pause and have us think about this, right? Um, wh who would be the person, if you were going along that road and you saw a person laying there on the road, and it was a certain kind of person, not your kind of people, you know, what if it was a gangbanger laying there on the side of the road? What if it was a Middle Eastern person who looked like he could be a terrorist, right? What if it was a radical, outspoken, outspoken, marching militant from the other side of the political aisle from you? Would you stop and help that person? right? 
you know, what, what's in your own motive? What would you be thinking? Or, or would you be thinking about what is it going to cost me if I stop and help him? Uh, time, money, you know, inconvenience, et cetera, et cetera. So Jesus reaches the part of the story and the Jewish people are like, okay, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Man there, robbed, beaten by these muggers on a common road that, would, that had happened all the time. It's kind of unusual that a priest and a Levite would go by and both of them wouldn't even touch the guy, not even lifting a finger to help him. Okay, so where are you going with this, Jesus? And then Jesus drops the bomb on them. Then he gives them the unexpected twist in the story. And he says, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, and I can see the audience listening to Jesus, as he said the word Samaritan, <gasps> no way, he's not going there. <laughs> but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, the Samaritan, you know, I wonder if the crowd, you know, they just gasped when he said that word, because why is that a bombshell in the story? You may not even know that. You may say, eh, there's Jews, there's Samaritans, there's Gentiles, there's all kinds of people in the first century. But in the first century, certain groups of people did not get along, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. In fact, in John's gospel, as Jesus is breaking all kinds of Jewish tradition by talking to this Samaritan woman at the well... In John chapter 4, where he says, will you give me a drink of water? John describes it in his gospel. He says, Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans, right? So why this Samaritan would give a rip at all about a Jewish guy laying there on the side of the road is as big a surprise as anything in the story, right? The Jews were listening. Maybe, maybe they even thought the robbers in the story, you know, it's mo you know, when you mention a Samaritan, to us, it's much more likely that the robbers in the story, they'd be the Samaritans. Make them the villains. Don't make the Samaritan the good guy in the story, Jesus. What are you doing? So Jesus went on and he said, he, the Samaritan, he went to him, right? When he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandages his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him, right? And then the next day, I mean, he goes above and beyond this. I thought he, he did a lot the first day, but the next day he took out two denarii, by the way, which is two days wages. Think of what you make in a day's wage. Double that and say, that's what the, the Samaritan gave out of his own pocketbook, his own wallet to give to the innkeeper. And he says, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Not only did the Samaritan feel compassion for this poor, robbed, and beaten man, the Samaritan went the extra mile to care for him. He treated his wounds. He set the man on his donkey. He took him to an inn, cared for him throughout the night. No Samaritan man, the Jewish people thought, would ever show that level of compassion or care for a Jew. Nobody would do that in a normal level. So, what made this good Samaritan a good Samaritan? What made him good? He was compassionate. He was generous. There's your first fill in the blank in your bulletin if you want that. Towards someone, and, and here's the thing, he wasn't just compassionate and generous to quote his own kind of people or to an own family member or to somebody that he cared about. These guys were at odds with each other. Uh, religiously, politically, they were not friends at all on the normal level. They wouldn't give each other the time of day. They wouldn't cross the street to help each other. And yet, 
This man was, this Samaritan was compassionate and generous and towards somebody that he was supposed to hate. He didn't know for sure how long the injured man would be laid up there in the end, but I'm guessing that if he was left half dead by the attack, that his recovery could take a while. And so the kind man was willing to cover his costs. And somehow this man had enough money to care for the wounded man for a number of days. All I'm trying to say is, this was a surprise to the people, to the listeners, a shock to them that this, that this Samaritan would show such over-the-top compassion to a person that he was actually supposed to hate. In fact, the compassion, Jesus, though, we don't like your story because the hero in the story is the wrong kind of person. The, the goodness that's being done in the story is coming from the wrong source. What are you getting at, Jesus? So Jesus now reveals his hand with his last question back to the expert in the law, right? He said, who is my neighbor was the original question. And now Jesus was, he's thinking Jesus is going to say, well, your neighbor, of course, is your fellow Jew. But Jesus is trying to get them to expand their religious horizon. He's trying to expand their definition of who do I love. Uh, Jesus is trying to get their, Tim to expand their, their compassion, Jesus is trying to get them to redefine who they see as their neighbor. And that's the truth for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, as I am, you can't get away with just, quote, hey, I just love and care for my own kind of people. That's not being a true follower of Jesus. He expands the definition of what it means to be a neighbor. For the first century, he was telling the Jewish people, you've got to expand who you see as your neighbor way beyond Judea, way beyond Galilee. You've got to expand it into Samaria and into the ends of the earth beyond just your own kind of people, beyond the single ethnicity of the Jews. And Jesus did this with a perfectly timed question at the end. Jesus asked this man, which of these three, remember who the three potential heroes were in the story, but only one of them actually stopped and showed compassion. Who are the three people? The priest, the Levite, or the S word? <laughs> the, the word that they didn't even like to say. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That question was disruptive. That question was inescapable. Jesus is saying something new is on the horizon. For these Old covenant Jews who would become followers of Jesus as their Messiah, they were going to learn before long that they were going to have to take Jesus' good news well beyond the, the, the limits of their own kind of people. They were going to have to take the good news message to the whole world. And the right answer to the, to the question, which of these three was a neighbor, was pretty obvious. The answer was obvious. The implications of that answer were not obvious. I think there was quite a pause before the expert in the law answered Jesus' question. And notice he doesn't even say the word Samaritan. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, go. In fact, he didn't even say you got the answer right verbally. Jesus' answer to him is, okay, now that you see that the one who really loved their neighbor was the one who showed compassion on him, and whether it was a Jew or a Samaritan doesn't matter, the one who showed compassion is the one who's the hero in the story, right? And Jesus says, that when you say, love God with all my heart, love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? You've got to be like the Samaritan. 
go and do likewise. Jesus had a question implied behind that question, who is my neighbor? Which of the three crossed the road to demonstrate the love of God that he had in his heart means that he loves his neighbor as, as himself? It was, it was the Samaritan. Genuine neighbor love is going to powerfully demonstrate the vertical love that you and I have for God. Jesus' movement, he knew. Jesus is trying to prepare the Jews who would believe in him, trying to prepare them to say, you've got to get beyond, quote, just your own kind of people. His new movement would include far more than just fellow Jews. It would include all the foreigners, all the non-Jews living among them. The non-Jews like that Roman officer Cornelius, who's up there in Caesarea in Acts chapter 10, when Peter has to learn to love more than just his own kind of people. This movement is going to include all the foreigners living in all the foreign lands. You know, I, it, it's easy in the 21st century to look back and say, of course, we're supposed to love all people, all human beings. Anybody has a pulse. Anybody who has two, you know, and well, not everybody has two eyeballs, but any, anybody who is a human being created in God's image, of course, we're supposed to love all people. But that story that Jesus told in his day was mind-blowing to the, to the Jewish listeners. To a first century Jew, to love my neighbor as myself, and you want me to say my neighbor is everybody, not just my own kind of Jewish people? That was mind-blowing. So here's the point of Jesus' story. It's no great mystery, the answer to this. Jesus wants us to love everyone, even people we don't like, right? Everybody we're supposed to love, even people we don't like. People whom everyone else wants to avoid. When we, when we show love to others, when we show love to them, that's when we're obeying Jesus. Obeying God means showing His love to every single person we come in contact with. You know, we can quote the Bible, we can recite platitudes on God and His character and His holiness and His love and His mercy and His grace and His compassion, but unless we're willing to get involved in the lives of others to help them, religiously, Jesus says, you're just blowing smoke. So that's number one. You have to go and show love to everyone, not just talk about it. And number two, God measures, this is maybe the same way of saying what I just said, Say it 18 different times, maybe one of them will stick. God measures our vertical love for Him by our horizontal love for our neighbor, right? So when you read that, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, I think Jesus is saying, you know, you can't just get away with this idea of, no, 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 my, my Christian life, my, my faith, it's just me and God. It's just me and my 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 iPhone listening to worship music. It's just me reading my Bible all at home by myself. It's just, it's just me uh, and God alone, not, nobody else around. And you know what? That is true. And I, told, I just told you that in the beginning of the message, that to grow spiritually, we need to have at least four daily, uh, four daily devotionals with God during each week in order to keep growing spiritually. So that, that part that I just told you, that vertical relationship with God is important. But that's not the sum and total of what it means to be a follower of Christ. They, those times that we spend with God alone and vertically, they are supposed to fuel us. They are supposed to equip us to go and love our neighbor as ourselves. right? Who's the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. 
When we go and do show that love to our neighbor, there's where the proof of our vertical love and our relationship with God is. We love God and we love our neighbor as ourself. I'm gonna invite the worship team, if they're around, to come up. Maybe they're not around, that's okay. We'll just close in prayer and we'll go from here. So I invite you guys to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. And while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I, I want to challenge you to take another look at that story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. Have you ever thought about Jesus' story in a different way? Have you, have you ever thought that the person that was traveling on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho might be you? And that you were the one who was laid, waylaid by robbers, robbers that are like sin, in separation from God and, and going your own way and finding yourself living in this fallen and broken world and being a victim of that and, and being estranged from God and estranged from other people and you're, you're laying on the road, so to speak, half dead, wondering is there anybody who cares about you or, or is going to come along to help? And then you see how Jesus is the, like the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is the one who comes along and he sees you where you are right now and he's loving you and he's showing compassion on you and he's saying and he's saying to you i'm ready to rescue you i'm ready to forgive you of all your sins i'm ready to give you eternal life i'm willing to put my holy spirit to dwell in your heart forever to give you the power to live a life that pleases god jesus is willing to do all of that for you and the question is are you ready to receive it are you ready to open up your life and saying, God, I'm not going to do religion on my own. I'm not going to try to make my own way anymore spiritually. I'm going to accept the gift of salvation, Jesus, that you're offering to me, and I'm going to become your follower. And if today is that day for you, I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Just pray. Praying is just having a conversation with God. So I'd like you to pray along with me. Just pray, Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that you're the Messiah, the anointed one of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and all the things that I've done wrong. And so today, God, Jesus, I pray that you'll forgive me of all my wrongdoings. I pray that you'll heal me from all my brokenness. And I pray that you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I'll have the power to live out this new life that you have for me and that you promise me. Lord, I'm looking forward to living a life in right relationship with God. Lord, I'm looking forward to growing in my faith, growing in my understanding of what it means to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So God, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for answering my prayer. Thank you for coming into my life by faith. And from this day forward, I decide that I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for your promise of forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.